0: that we never actually stop and think what does that mean what are the results if I say that it's like when we talk about these different isms there's a bunch of isms in the church today right one of which is Calvinism and if you go to an extreme Calvinistic approach which basically means God has foreordained everything that is going to happen every decision you're going to make is a result of God making you make that decision The net result of that is it will eliminate the burden for evangelism because those who are going to heaven, God's already chosen. And those who are going to hell, He's already chosen that too. Why do I need to do that? Now, they will argue that, but I'm saying that's an extreme side of it. But that's the net result. The net result is like if we're praying for somebody to be healed, if we don't know if God heals today, what's the net result? We have no expectation. Are we praying in faith? No, we're praying in, I hope He does it. But if we look at the word continually, we begin to see exactly how God has unfolded everything. So everything goes back to the word. That's number one. Everything. Outside of that, your opinion is irrelevant, as is mine. I've had several conversations with people through the years. As you guys know, I am a bit stubborn, and I also am a bit loudmouth. Shocking. I understand. But the thing I hate more than anything on this earth, is stupidity, and I don't know how some people get themselves dressed in the morning. But I had a, a, a gentleman who had been a born again believer for umpteen years. I don't even know. He was an older gentleman, and he basically he he got frustrated with church. You know why? He said we're too word focused. He said we need to have relationship with God like Abraham had, and like Moses had. They didn't have the scriptures. What they had was a one-on-one relationship with God where God spoke directly to them and led them. That's the relationship with God that I want. I said, really? He said, and that is the relationship with God that Jesus talked about. I said, please go on. He said, because Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, He will lead us into all truth. My response is, how do you know that? Because I read it in the... Right. I'm not that smart. Right? I mean, if you've had kids, you've had conversations similar. You're like, for real? Did that just happen? You see, we all everything has to go back to that. So we've got two extremes. We've got extreme word. It's just so word-focused that we leave the Spirit of God out of it. As if there is any breath of life in us. As if we are the temple of God. As if He moves today. That all doesn't happen. It's all over here. And then you've got this side where you're just crazy. And you're all over the map. And you have no foundation. You are just floating whichever way the wind is blowing. Being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But where should we be? Grounded. So when we look at that, Then we have to look at like, okay, what tools have been given to us? What has God given us? Number one is the Word. Number two is a whole plethora of things to get us through. And if we lean on these things, and if we use these things, and if we equip ourselves with these things, and if we rehearse these things, and if we take these tools and begin to use them regularly, they get easier. So when we look at Ephesians 6, which is where we've been in this armor, this concept, finally my brethren, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You can stop there. Be strong in the Lord's might not yours his Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this age and a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So what did Paul tell us? He said, put this on. Take the truth. Take the word. You need it all. Begin to pray. All different kinds of prayer. We've been breaking this down week by week, looking at this and trying to figure out what on earth is he talking about here? Why is this so crucial? When we look at this armor, it is all intricate. It is all individually made. It is all tied together. He doesn't say grab a sword and run. He doesn't say, hey, pick up that shield, that's all you need. He didn't just say put your shoes on. He says, put it all on. How do we know that? It's in the word. Everything will always go back to that. That's why we focus so heavily on it. Because if you get a hold of what Scripture says and you accept it as truth, it will revolutionize the way you see the world around you. The way you interact with individuals, the way you act when things are not so great. Thanks to the modern Christian movement in America, we think Jesus came to make us happy. Somebody should have let Peter and Paul know that. They missed the memo. But He came to give us life and life more abundant. Well, what does that mean? We came with the purpose. He gave us the tools. So when we looked at this idea of praying in the Spirit, we had to break that down of what that meant because that is what He says. Pray at all times in the Spirit. And as we began to break that down, we began to see that that is very much talking about the idea of praying in tongues, which brought us over to Acts chapter 2. Jesus had told them to hang out in Jerusalem, right? Let's read it. Luke 24, we'll start there, verse 44. He says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture. Now let's just stop there. That alone should be enough evidence for any individual to say, Maybe these Scriptures are important. That my opinion on them is not. But what God has said very much is. Then he said to them, It is written... And it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You were witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Why did he tell them to wait? Because he's getting them equipped. They needed the Holy Spirit. They needed the Holy Spirit. They needed to be endued with power from on high. At the end of the book of John in chapter 20 he breathed on them said receive the Holy Spirit but yet he tells them to wait. Why? Because we're not talking about the same thing. Because what we see in Acts chapter two is a new thing that's happening. Now, Acts chapter one we see it reiterated, verse four: being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, "You have heard from me." John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, "Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel?" And he said, "It is not for you to know the time or the season in which the Father has put in His own authority, but." You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, what is happening? Why is this such a big deal? They try to change the subject. Because once they wrap their heads around that the Messiah was coming twice, instead of two Messiahs coming once, this whole idea of the suffering servant, okay, great, you're alive, are you setting up your kingdom? And he says, no, focus. Stay here until you're endued with power from on high. It says, you will receive power. You know what it doesn't say? Guess what, boys and girls, mainly boys. On this day, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive your prayer language. This is going to be great. You're going to need it. Don't worry, this dude Paul, he'll explain it all to you in 1 Corinthians. No, he said you'll be endued with power from on high. So what happens in Acts chapter 2? There were four things that were taking place in Acts chapter 2. The first one, the start of the new covenant, if you will. Okay, Forgive the term, but the new covenant is now being ratified. The blood of Christ has been shed. Now forgiveness to all men is is there. You can see it. You can do it. They are now made whole. Made new. Not cleaned up. They are completely new. We've got the new high priest that is now mediating for us in this covenant. Very, very important to what's going on. The most important part of this is, is, is the idea of this new temple. Because to a Jew, what was the center of the world? The temple. Now they are the temple. What resided in the temple? the presence of God that's what resided there what resides in the temple today the presence of God nothing has changed it was all laid out ahead of time then the last part of that is God bringing the world once again back to himself he separated in Genesis 10 come on Wednesday nights I'll really go through in depth on that In Genesis 10, he separates the Tower of Babel, now he's bringing them back. The languages were confused then, the languages being spoke confused them in Acts chapter 2. It all comes to a head, it all comes back together. So what is the point of this? We have to look at every aspect of what Jesus has said, and what he has done, and why he told them to wait. So let's look at Acts chapter 2. Because today's going to be an important day. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing, mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, as we've talked about, they had the Holy Spirit in them because Jesus breathed and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He told them to wait until what? They were endued with power from on high. So the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and then they are endued with power. And the net result of that, the sign of that, as we have gone through each and every week, is they heard them praying in tongues. That becomes the earmark that they know oh, my goodness, the Holy Spirit has fallen upon the Gentiles. We will go more in depth to what this tongue is and what it does later. But for right now, let's keep things in order. The Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and He endued them with power from on high. That's our focus. That's what He said. Charismatics today have gotten these things out of order. They're like, Yes, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you're baptized in Him, and you will pray in tongues. That is good. But this was the point. Don't chase signs. Chase the substance. When you go to the doctor, you give a list of symptoms. The symptoms leads to the cause. They're going to cure the cause, not the symptoms. Maybe that's a bad analogy to use in this circumstance, but you're following me, right? Because when the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were endued with power. We know this cannot be the same event simply using... The English language, because it talks about how the Holy Spirit will baptize them into Christ. We have to rethink the word baptize. It means to immerse that the Holy Spirit, in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, you are baptized into one spirit, by one spirit, into Christ. We know baptism in water. Who does that? The disciples. But who did John say would baptize with the Holy Spirit? He said Jesus would do it. These two things cannot be the same simply using grammar. Now, if you're like me, you don't like grammar and you don't use it good (laughs) but we try so we know these are different events and we also know what the point of it was so what was the net result we tend to focus on the tongues and I'm not saying it's not important please don't misunderstand me what I'm saying is what was the result what happened to these individuals specifically talking about the apostles because what is the book of acts about it's called the acts of the apostles not the acts of the holy spirit not the acts of every individual that was in jerusalem in that time it's specifically focused towards the 12 apostles so and and more so just a couple of them so what happened when the holy spirit was poured out upon these individuals in that day something changed because as we know And as we've read, and we're not going to read all through Acts chapter 2 today, is that Peter stood up as they're confused. He said, men, these are not drunk as you suppose. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is what the prophet Joel had said. That in the last days, he will pour out his Spirit on all flesh. You see, He was letting them know that the time of Messiah had arrived, entering into a time of prophecy that they were waiting, where the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon each and every individual. Every Jew would now be entered in there. Before, they were just pockets. You have prophets that were called by God and anointed by God, and they were individual. But now, it's a time of prophecy. It's a time of, of, of something new going on here and so because of that he said this is what happened now remember who is this Peter the same cat that denied Christ just a few days before what changed it was more than just this actually because what did he do when Jesus said I'm gonna go I'm gonna die but I'm gonna come back three days later don't worry And Peter said oh no, no 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 you won't we won't let it happen and when they came to take him what did he do He grabbed a sword. He did not believe what Jesus had said. He was not fully convinced of the words of Christ. Because had he been, he'd have been fine. Now, look at um, Abraham as an example. We'll go into this more later on Wednesday nights. You should be there. But when God told Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only begotten son. I want you to take him up. On the mountain, and I want you to kill him. What did he do? Come with me, boy. It's going to be a fun trip for one of us. From that moment, he knew that Isaac was dead. He was fully convinced. But you know what he was more convinced of? He was promised that Isaac would have children. So he knew no matter what he did, God would fulfill his promise. Peter didn't buy that, Peter wasn't convinced. There's a distinction there. He was not fully persuaded. Now Jesus stood before him after he watched him die, after he watched him be buried. He's standing before him. He is now convinced. Not only that, but when the Spirit of God poured out upon him, something clicked. He gives the sermon of all sermons. And let's look at, at verse 40. After he gets done preaching, he, he lays this out for them. He says, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually, daily, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, he stood up and he preached, and what happens? Man, it changes something. Because they didn't just go and and start their own thing. Where did they hang out? In the temple. That never changed. Everybody who heard the word were baptized. They were were coming to Christ. 3,000 it says. Then what do they do? They continued in the apostles' teachings. And the fellowship. And the breaking of bread. And in prayers. almost sounds like they're giving you a bit of a road map of how it should be done. Fear comes upon everybody because the many signs and wonders that were done. There was a lot that was happening there. Luke doesn't give us a ton of details. All who believed came together. They continued daily in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. You see, there was was a boldness that was there that is different than the boldness or the lack thereof that we saw in Peter before. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Wonders and signs are being done by all who believe. Now, let's look at chapter 3. Because let's continue to look at what is the result. You will notice as you go through this that the, the whole idea of tongues is never mentioned. It's always here. Always there. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So how far past Acts chapter 2 are we? How many days? If you figure it out, let me know. And a certain man, lame from his mother womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked for alms. Fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Now let's stop for a minute. Peter and John going about their daily life. Were they going seeking out this man? No. They continue to go to the time of prayer at the temple. They see this lame man, this guy who can't walk, not that he's not cool, he just can't walk, all right, from his mother's womb, that he was laid there every day looking for a handout. So, why is that important? Well, remember, there were four messianic miracles, and one of which was healing somebody who was born blind or with an ailment because they believed that it was the sin that caused that and the hand of God had brought judgment and only God himself could heal from that. Okay, So keep that in the back of your mind. That's one of the four. Here, what do we have? We have somebody for the better part of his life has been laying, uh, laying here looking for money because he can't support himself, he can't work. So he sees Peter and John. He looks at them when Peter says to. What's he expecting? Money. Was he expecting to get up and walk? No. Was his faith at the point to where God could use his faith and say, your faith has made you whole? No. He's looking for a payday. He'd heard nothing about Peter and John and their ability to heal. So, they're waiting He says, in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is powerful. Why? Because when you say, in the name of something, you are representing something. You have the authority given by that individual, by that state, by that government, whatever, the uh, the authority to speak on their behalf. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And what happens? He grabs him by the right hand, he picks him up, and the strength came in. And everybody was shocked. Nobody saw that coming. Now, what transpired between this moment and Acts chapter 2? I don't know. It says many signs and wonders were being done. So we don't know how long past this is. We don't know what had happened. But we know that this Peter is not the same Peter that denied Christ. Because let me tell you something. You walk up to somebody who can't walk, and you go through this, that's gutsy. Very gutsy. So, verse 11. As the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. And when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. And he is determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Now stop there again. So what does He call upon? He starts with Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That they know, but this Jesus They were not convinced that the Messiah had come. So he says, through the name of Jesus, whom God had raised up, has made him strong. Verse 17, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent and be converted That your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ, whom was preached to you before. Whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. Which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So when he says convert, remember, sects of Judaism. There's a bunch of them, Pharisees, uh, Herodians, Essenes, all of these guys. They get lumped over here. Come over here. He's saying convert over. Get away from that become a fulfilled Jew. All these things were laid out ahead of time from the mouths of the holy prophets. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, in all the prophets, from Samuel, And those who follow, as many have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets, and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of theirs shall be blessed. To you first God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. He's laying it out there. Hey, guess what? Messiah was here. What did you do? Did you celebrate? No, you killed him. But here's the good news. And he lays it out there for him. Who's getting glory in all of this? It is Jesus. He makes it a point to make sure they know who's being glorified. This is a different cat. I mean, he is just, he is laying it out there. So as you can expect, everybody's excited. They love to hear this. Messiah has come. We have seen a verifiable miracle that only God himself can do. Because he was born this way. Nobody else could heal him. Only God could. So that tells them something, and everybody's going to be excited. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught that the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, why? The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They did not believe in angels. They didn't believe in the supernatural. And they laid hands on them, not in a good way, and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. Peter's ministry starting strong. He didn't have TV. No internet. Nothing. No Facebook. My goodness. Who would have guessed? You see, what's happening is the result of the signs of wonder, God is being glorified, and the message is being preached of who did it. You see, He is letting them know Messiah has come, and you missed Him. The Sadducees and those in charge are not happy to hear this. Look at verse 5. It came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, they're confused. How have you pulled this up? You notice it says two different things. What power? And what authority. How did you do this? Because this is not an ordinary miracle. This is something that somebody was born with, and only God can do this. Now watch what it says here. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now that's interesting to me. Why does Luke reiterate the fact that Peter is full of the Holy Spirit? Did you skip the first two chapters? Did you not read his first book? What did you miss? You see, he's making a point here because he is full of the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, so now he's telling them the authority, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. Now he's telling about the power. He's answering both questions. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now he's quoting prophecy. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven uh, given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, again, different guy, not the same guy, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Now, that's interesting because were Peter and John educated? In a sense, because they were discipled, but not according to the hierarchy. As I told you, today, most churches, Jesus would not be qualified to be their pastor because of the criteria they've laid out. And seeing the man, verse 14... Who had been stand healed standing with them they could say nothing against it you remember what I said you can argue with me interpretation of Scripture and you can argue with me how something may work but you can't argue with me when somebody who is in a wheelchair gets up out of it you can't argue that because that can be verified what are they gonna say what can they do these guys aren't trained they've been with this Jesus They could say nothing, because the dude is standing there. The proof is in front of them. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What do we do with these guys? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them, pretty obvious to everybody who lives in Jerusalem. We can't deny it. But, so that it spreads no further among the people. Let us severely threaten them. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. Now why? What's so important? Where? By what authority did you do this? It's that name. It's the name of Jesus. That is the authority. He's told them that. So you would think, my goodness, look what's happened. This is incredible. Let's get behind this. They flat out say a notable miracle has been done through them. We can't deny it. So let's threaten them. So nobody else finds out about it. What are they interested in? Not truth. They're interested in what they already believed. They don't care what the truth is. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For that man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, there's a couple of things. Think about that. How long had Jesus been gone? A couple months, maybe? Not very long. 40 years old. How long had he been set in front of that gate? It's a good possibility, the better part of his life. It's interesting that there's a chance that Jesus himself had passed that man. We don't know. Why didn't Jesus heal him? We don't know. But we know that He did. Now, here's the other part. You've got to understand what's going on here. All the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys are the Jewish governmental authority. And they said, listen, we're going to let you go, but you can no longer preach in that name. You can never, no longer speak that name. And so, what is Peter's response He said, okay, Romans 13 tells us that we have to obey the governmental authorities. You guys see how ludicrous that is? What he says, whether you think it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you go right ahead and judge. But we can only speak the things that we have seen and we have heard. They're going to stand by their testimony. Their testimony is what we call the Gospels. That is their testimony. They lived it. So there's a lot going on here. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So he's quoting words of David here. They're living that right now. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Their prayer was to give them more boldness. That was pretty bold. Listen, most of us in this room would not have lasted through that. And we would have gone home with our tail between our legs and been like, oh, I wish they'd just leave me alone. I guess I better quiet down. I'm causing too much of a ruckus. You know it's all right to ruffle a few feathers. Sometimes you've got to pluck them feathers. Just rip them suckers right out of there. Where do they go? Lord, grant us boldness and stretch out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of Jesus. What's he talking about? He's talking about this power. He tells us what the signs and wonders are. Stretch out your hand to heal. Whose hand heals? Jesus. What did Peter and John have to do? Walk in the authority. They're not healing anybody. They're walking in the fullness of the authority that Jesus himself had given them because they have been endued with power from on high. They were this third part when Jesus baptized them in the Holy Spirit. The power of God now resides upon them and they walk in the fullness of the authority thereof. They are not backing down to anybody. Because why? Truth is on their side. They're not being tossed to and fro. They are standing boldly. Now look at verse 31. Now it gets weird if it wasn't weird enough before. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. That's the building. Did they have an earthquake at that moment? They must have. What's happening here? The presence of God is so strong that the building itself is shaking. So let me ask you a question. Call me crazy because we've seen crazy things, okay? Most of us grew up in this charismatic world. We've seen all the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all right? But if God could shake a building, is it at least just a little bit possible that the same power of God that shook that building might shake an individual that doesn't maybe have steel girders? Most of our girders are jelly-filled and stuff like that. You Get poked in the side and gravy comes out. Anyway, sorry. Verse 31, when they had prayed... The place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, here we have it again. So, Luke made a point to say, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, which was pretty obvious because we saw that in Acts chapter 2. He reiterated it again. And now, they are there praying, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit again. So, obviously, you just run out. And you got to get refilled. One of my point here is if we see this, and you'll see this a lot, is that we act like it's a one and done thing. Oh, I've been prayed for. I'm good. The truth is, guys, we need to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. They were, and they were better than we are. If it's good enough for them, I think it's good enough for us. The result of all of that is they spoke the word of God with all boldness. That's what we need more than anything else today. We need to speak the word of God with all boldness. Verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each and anyone who had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which translates son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now that is not talking about socialism. But they are talking about they're just coming communally. Why? Because they need one another. In this moment, in this case, you've got a new sect being formed, and it is not going to be friendly to the ideas. Needless to say, old habits die hard. And it's no different here. But with great power, they gave witness to what? The resurrection. Why? Because according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is the gospel and that is the cornerstone of our faith because if Jesus did not rise from the dead according to Paul then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins so that is the cornerstone so with great power they gave witness to the resurrection so if I'm giving you a message of any kind and I reach down and I said that dude has never walked in his life get up you might listen to my message just a hair more because apparently there's something that's going on there it's the same in Acts chapter 8 with Simon. When you talk about Simon the sorcerer and everything that's going on, when he sees by the laying on of the hands uh, by the apostles that the Holy Spirit came upon these people, he wanted that. There was some, he'd seen something going on, what he saw, what he heard. He wanted that ability. His world that he came out of is that, hey, that magician over there came up with a new formula. You can buy that from him. That's all he knew. Again, old habits die hard. So, fast forward to Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We're still looking at what is the net result of what happened in Acts chapter 2. Well, what are we seeing? People are being healed and Christ is being proclaimed. We're going to start in verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, That's a lot of work. They're dragging people into the streets because they know Peter might be passing by. Why would they do that? Well, it says so the shadow could fall on them. You don't do that if it's ineffective. I don't think you guys caught that. There's something going on here. You see, Peter was walking in the fullness of the Spirit, not because he was an apostle, but because he had been endued with power from on high. That is what's going on here. And so because of that, people are being healed. Why? That Jesus may be glorified through these signs and wonders. What does it say? All who were sick and all tormented by unclean spirits were healed. There's a lot that's going on here. Look at verse 17. Because as you expect, eventually they got to get on board, right? Eventually these leaders are going to see, man, there is something going on there. We need to get behind this. Verse 17. Then the high priest rose up and all those were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. And they were filled with indignation and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So they're still mad. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this lie. So, where were they? They were in the temple, they were arrested. Put in prison, the angel lets them out and says, Go to the temple. Now, think about us. We got pretty cushy lives here, right? You've never turned on a faucet and water not come out. When I went to the Philippines, I get there at midnight after 27 hours on an airplane in airports. It was very sweaty because I'm extremely large compared to all these Asians. So they, we're all packed in there like sardines and we finally get there. What's the one thing I had in my mind, the only thing I wanted, more than anything in this life besides a Diet Coke, and you get that? A shower. So I get to the room, I go and turn on the water. Guess what? There's no water. There's certain times of the day that the water is turned on and it was not that time because apparently nobody let them know that a white guy from America was coming and needed a shower. So, needless to say, I felt sorry for all those who were around me. So, we've got it pretty good. If we get arrested for proclaiming the truth of the gospel and we get out of this jail, most of us, again, tuck tail, let's get out of here. But they went right back where it all started. They were not persuaded by any of this. Verse 21. And when they had heard that they entered the temple in the morning and taught. Uh, let, me rest, let me, let's go back just a second. Go, I want to say this again. Go stand in the temple and speak to all the people, all the words of this life. So again, what are we talking about? All the word, right? Reiterating the, the, the words of this life. What life? The life in Christ. Okay, that's the full. That's the message. That's the problem the Sadducees have. And when they'd heard that. They entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those who were with him came and called the council together with all the elders, the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one. When the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them saying, look. The men whom you put in prison are standing in the te- temple and teaching the people. The captain went with the officers and brought them with, without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. What's happening? A mutiny is being formed. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name, and look You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles' answer said, We ought to obey God rather than men. It's unfortunate Paul had not written Romans 13 yet, so Peter knew the truth. I hope you're catching my sarcasm. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him, God has exalted to His right hand to be Prince and Savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are His witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. You've got the individual apostles as the witness. You've got the Holy Spirit Himself as the witness. And that Holy Spirit has been given to all those who obey. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves at what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. The number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain. And all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. You know, that's pretty good thinking there. He's a smart cat because what is his point? He's like, listen, we've seen this before. This, is ha- this isn't the first time this kind of thing has happened. There were two individuals that he gave that rose up claiming to be something. What is that something? Very likely the Messiah or some time There were multiple Messiahs. They, still, they think the Messiah is still coming. I mean, this has not changed. There's been multiple people through the years that they believed have been the Messiah. So he rises up, ends up dying, and all the ones that follow them are just kind of, they dissipate. It comes to nothing. So if this is of God, you can't stop it. If it's not of God, give it time. It'll die out. Don't freak out. So verse 40, and they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And he let them go. So one final lick, one final threat, do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they beat the tar out of them. What did they beat them with? They likely whipped them. We don't know. Flogged them of some sort. They were beaten. So they were probably thankful to just be out of there. Let's lay low. Let's just stay quiet. This will all be over soon. Verse 41. They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Again, I don't know why Paul did not write Romans 13 before this. Would are to say Peter, a lot of hassle. You guys get it? Like there's a something distinct here that is going on. There's something different They counted themselves worthy. They were so grateful to be beaten for the name of Jesus. I mean, that is something. And they never slowed down because they were thankful for it. So what did they do? Every day they went to the temple. And in every house. They never stopped teaching. There's something to be learned there. There is something that has changed in them. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution, food being given out. Hellenists were Greek Jews. Um, They were supposed to take care of all the widows and the... Orphans and stuff like that. They weren't doing a very good job. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Now stop there for a second. Why does he specify full of the Holy Spirit? Isn't it a given that if you're born again and you're a follower here, that you are full of the Holy Spirit? Isn't that a given? There's something else there. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Well, obviously, right? He told them specifically to get somebody that was full of the Holy Spirit. And if they're born again, they're full of the Holy Spirit, right? Why does Luke continually hammer on that idea? Because we're not talking about the same thing. This full of the Holy Spirit concept is the same thing we saw in Acts chapter 2, where the Spirit of God came upon them. So, Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, uh, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Who were the priests? Priests of the temple. Who's he talking about? So they take seven guys and say, listen, we can't do this all on our own. Things are expanding. We need some help. And they were now called, if you will. So, again, people full of the Holy Spirit. That's the key. Look at verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people, Then there arose some of what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and, and Asia, disputing with Stephen, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So who's doing this? Stephen is. So it's not relegated to just the apostles, is it? You see, the thing is, guys, is the spirit of God was for all who come after them. You see the net result of this. What are we seeing continually? When the Holy Spirit came upon them, they were endued with power from on high. Yes, there was a sign of that that it was tongues, but that was not the point. The power from on high was to give glory to Jesus, that signs and wonders would be done at the preaching of the gospel, that the Messiah had come, that he died, he was buried, and he was resurrected, and these signs gave credence to the word that was being spoke. Look at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Who's Philip? He's a nothing, he's not an apostle, what we call a deacon full of the Holy Spirit, went preaching the Word. We could go on and on and on and on with examples of this. The bottom line is this. The man of God, which is all of us, it was intended to be endued with power from on high, full of the Holy Spirit, walking out, preaching the Gospel, with signs and wonders following. So why is it not happening? Why don't we see it today? We make a million excuses. All the time why don't we see this happening the truth is we're not preaching the Word of God we're not preaching the gospel to the corners of the earth we're very comfortable writing a check we're not very comfortable standing on the street corner talking to people when we hear about somebody sick we always like oh that's too bad instead of going listen we are full of the Holy Spirit let's go pray for that person who's who's responsible for the result of that prayer not you it is God it's his hand to heal there's no burden on you except to go. So why don't we see it? Because we've we've taken this concept and we've watered it down so much, and we've eliminated the need for it, and we've lost the effect of it because we always talk about the signs instead of the uh, the, the the overall cause. The bottom line is today, church, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit and power. That's never changed. So the question is, how do we? If I'd have the worship team come on up. How do we do this? What do we got to do? What did they have to do? Do what Jesus said. Hang out in Jerusalem. As we saw last week, each time the Holy Spirit was poured out upon a people, it was one of two ways. It was done corporately. They were just standing there. Or the apostles laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and what do we see they prayed in tongues but what about us well we read this a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 10 he sent out the 70 to go out there and preach that the kingdom of God is at hand he said if they receive you and your message great if not wipe the dust off your feet they go and they come back with this amazing report and they're all excited It's like even the demons Are subject to us in your name. They're excited about it. They have never experienced anything like this because you had a world in which torment by the enemy was going on. It was running rampant. And the only thing they could do is what they knew. They would call for a Jewish exorcist. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. They didn't know what the net result would be. But suddenly, they're going out and they're seeing change happen. They're excited, as you and I would be, as we should be to a degree. Right? Because we're watching the hand of God at work. But what does Jesus say? Luke chapter 10, verse 18. He said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In other words... You're excited that you're a child of the king. But because you're a child of the king, that you have authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. That's how we know we're not talking about snakes and bugs. He's tying this in with the power of the enemy. All the things that he does, nothing shall hurt you because you have his authority. We fast forward to Luke chapter 11, right? Same context. Same context. It says, if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? So we see the same two analogies being given as was given just prior to that. And look what he says, because he's talking about, okay, well, if he wants bread or fish or egg, he must be hungry. So you're going to give him a bug or a snake or a rock? He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Why don't we see things today? We never asked. It's just the truth. We have made a formula out of the things of God that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Well, there's a problem with that. If that's the formula... It's too bad Cornelius and his crew didn't get that because they never confessed, at least not that it's written. While Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit came upon them. There was a change that was in them in the instant. We create this formula like, okay, well, you got to get born again and then you're full of the Holy Spirit and now we baptize you and that's all the Holy Spirit you ever get. Well, there's a problem with that because that formula, Jesus didn't know about it. Because he breathed on them the breath of life. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach went inside of them. And then he said, hey, hang out in Jerusalem for a few days. Because before you go out and do my work and be my hands and be my feet, you need the ability to do so. But the church today, we're comfortable. You think they were comfortable? Oh, sure, they love getting thrown in prison and beaten and all that other stuff. We're comfortable. Why don't we get uncomfortable? Why don't we get back to being the hands and feet of Christ?